You're listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast. This week, we bring you a five-part series of messages that George Slavin presented during Moody Week at Go Lake Bible Conference 1978. George Slavin was a Bible teacher and expositor and former pastor of Highland Park Baptist Church in Southfield, Michigan. Now, here is George Slavin on Today in the Word Radio. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children. They have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, the ass his master's crib. But Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. Ah, sinful nation, people laden with iniquity, seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. Why should you be stricken any more? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick, the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there's no soundness in it but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Your country is desolate, your cities burned with fire. Your land, strangers devour it in your presence. It is desolate, overthrown by strangers. And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. And then Israel replies, except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams, the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When you come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot. Away with, it's iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when you spread forth your hands, that is in prayer, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings, from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let's reason together. Saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And if you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. That's not an easy passage. Isaiah, contemporary with three other prophets, Hosea, Amos, Micah, pre-exilic prophets, that is, they're preaching before the great dispersion of the Jew came to pass because God picked up the Jew and let the Babylonians carry them in the captivity, much as if Russia came and overcame us and well, ravished our young women and took our young men all the way to Russia and put them in Siberia. That could happen to America. It happened to the Jew. 
They thought it never would happen. It happened. Isaiah is possibly the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, apart from John the Baptist. Not great because he was more important, but he said more than they. His vocabulary has over 2,100 words in it. And you try to think how many words that is. If I ask you to give 100 words with a letter A, how many could you write down? You get to 17 and 18, maybe 30. Could you write 100 and 100 with a letter B? Well, he uses words like that. He says more about Jesus than any other prophet. Talks about his birth, the virgin shall conceive. Names him, Emmanuel. Also, Isaiah 9, 6, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor and so on. Tells about his character, a bruised reed he will not break, smoking flax. He will not quench. He talks about Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 62. A redeemer shall come to Zion. Yeah, he talked about his resurrection. This is Isaiah. He uses a lot of metaphors, seeing one thing under the image of another. The ox knows his owner. The ass is master crib. But my people don't know and my people don't consider. When we look at Isaiah tonight, what he says is to his people back there. But I like to use it tonight to let Isaiah speak to God's people today. I would think 99 and 44 one-hundredths percent of the Bible is to God's people, not to the unsaved. Very little of the Bible is to the unsaved. All the messages to the unsaved is, you're a sinner, you're going to die, there's a day of judgment, and God so loved the world, he gave his son, believe in him and be saved. No more than that. But all scripture is inspired of God and is filled with doctrine to instruct us that the man of God may be truly furnished unto all good works. The Bible is to us, not to them. Now we like to apply it to them. Oh, you know what the church, you believe in the local church? Believe in the church universal? Well, the church universal is a concept, not a fact. It's a theory that will be a fact that in the church of Christ are those saved in the first century, those saved today, and those who will be saved in days to come if the Lord tarry. But that church is not met yet. They've taken no offering. They've held no prayer meetings. The only representation of that great assembly is the local church, and that's your church, and that's my church. You believe in the local church, or you say yes, but I'm not talking about abstract. I mean in your local church. Are you the church at Corinth? You believe in that church? That was a church. Or the church at Laodicea, thinking it was rich and it was poor? <sighs> hey, you believe in that church? What's your church like? And what part do you play in it? Keep that in mind as we speak. There are four things to see. The claims of God, and are, are they right or wrong? And faith will ratify them. And then the charge of God, ah, sinful people laden with iniquity, corruptors. Is God true about this people? Forget the Jew for the moment. Are these indictments true of you and me in a local assembly that says we are the people of God? And then the condition of that people, like a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, very bad condition. And finally, the cure that God offers them that they did not take. Hope you understand that. They did not take the cure. And so judgment came and dispersion and Tigath Pileser and Nebuchadnezzar and oh, it can't happen to us. It happened. When you talk about the claims of God, and we can't limit God, but the first claim is the claim of what we call revelation of the fact that God has spoken. In verse 2, hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, 
It would be as if he called all creation to listen to what he had to say. The Lord hath spoken. That's one of God's claims. He speaks through his word, not apart from it, through his word. He never speaks in opposition to his word. There is no contradiction to his word. Faith cometh from hearing and hearing from the word of God. And faith that comes from that word is the evidence of things we cannot see that he sees. The substance of things we hope for that we look to get but he already has for us. Now, there are other voices that cry to the church. Corinthians says there are many voices going out into the world and none of them is without significance. Now, let me take you, you're a member of your local church, or me, and what do we listen to? Are we listening to the voice of God? Not always. There's the voice of the marketplace. Hey, Joe, want to work overtime on Sunday? Give you double time. Count me in. Whose voice did he hear? I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. Not that guy. Double time. And the mountains and the seashore and all the fishing and the boating and the golf and the doubleheader baseball games and on summer, wintertime, the big football games, they cry, even to believers, come, I give you two tickets. Free, free, count on me. Hey, where's the voice of the Lord in your church? Or is your church jammed on Sunday morning, trying to get in? Want to break a pastor's heart? Show him the attendance record. Where are these people? Oh, well, some of them are busy in the Lord's work. Well, bless them. They're preaching in a jail Sunday morning. Amen. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the other voices out in the marketplace. And you that will go to college, you will hear the voice of philosophy. Every man looking for an ultimate that explains the particular and rejecting the only ultimate that has the answer, who is God, they bypass him with either rationality or irrationality or with drugs or with music or with whatever. And there will be people listening to those voices. Hey, the Lord hath spoken. He claims to have spoken. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. There's always the voice of the tempter saying to an Eve, hath God said. And he'll say that to older people and young people. Is the Bible really true? Does God, and God would not send you to hell, not God. God said he would. Either Satan's a liar or he is. But you'll hear the voice of the tempter, and you young men will hear some Delilah or some young woman in the book of Proverbs saying, my husband's away. Come on, he won't be home till Tuesday. Stay with me and let's make love. And her guests are the guests of hell. There'll be some young woman listening to some boy who will say to her, despite what God says, if you love me, you'd give yourself to me. He's a liar. He doesn't love her. If he loved her, he wouldn't ask her that. He loves flesh. He loves lust. He loves satisfaction. And that dear girl saying, oh, I'll listen because if I don't, he's liable to drop me. Yea, rather he than he. He and him, God. Claim of God, God has spoken. That's a claim. He also makes the claim of owner. He uses the metaphor, the ox knows his owner. Hey, Israel, who owns you? And they knew. They did not exist apart from God. There were no Jews, only Gentiles or people. And out of that Gentile world, he called an Abraham and an Isaac and a Jacob and the 12 tribes and a Judah and a David and a Messiah. But the Jews, I heard a diplomat from 
Israel from the United Nations speak to a group of Jewish rabbis, and I was invited along with other preachers. And he got up and he says, you know, brethren, he says, the Bible is our birth certificate. We have no right of existence apart from this. This is our birth certificate. And that's true. Hey, Christian, who owns you? Now, there are other claimants to ownership. Now, the believer knows that I am not my own. I am what? Yeah, we know that by heart. We speak it out of this side of the mouth, sometimes out of that side. Oh, yes, everything I have belongs to the Lord. There were Pharisees that used that cliché. Going to help your mom and dad because the Bible says honor your mom and dad. Oh, I gave everything I had to God. Corbin, it's a gift. Come on. It's true God owns me. It's true he's made a steward of what he's entrusted to my care. But if I manage the A&P, I don't own it. And if I manage these things, it has to be to the glory of God. For he owns me by right of creation. He made me. By right of providence, I am what I am by the grace of God. And by right of redemption, he paid the price to redeem me from hell. And that price was the blood of his son. God makes a claim. Who owns you? Very few believers believe this. The name El Elyon, which means possessor of all heaven and all earth, Abraham found what that name meant. And soon as he discovered that Melchizedek was a priest of that God whose name means I possess everything, immediately Abraham gave one tithe of all he possessed. A tithe is 10%. I don't meet many Christians who tithe. I meet some. That doesn't make them any holier, except they're recognizing that God has a claim and a right on 10% of their income. And if you say, well, that's under the law of baloney, that was before the law. That was with Abraham, the man of faith. And I'm told to walk in the steps of my father Abraham, Romans chapter 4. I don't want to take every step but that one. And when God says, you love me, Abraham, and fear me, yes, give me your son Isaac, your only son. And uh, he recognized who he was. You're Jehovah Jireh. Yes, take my son. And God says, now I know that you fear me. Not that he didn't know it before, but now Abraham knows it. And God knows it by experience as he watches this man give his faith and his love. Who owns you? Hey, you see, that's the relationship of a master and a slave. Paul says, I'm a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I come with my ear dig to do my Father's will. He owns me. He also makes another claim, and that's provider. If the ox knows his owner, the ass knows his master's crib. And you can see the dumb donkey looking over wherever he gets his food and sniffing it and nodding and coming. He knows where his bread comes from. Well, God's provided, as we've heard in many messages this week. Who gives me my love? He does. Who gives me peace? He does. Who gives me joy? He does. Who gives me comfort? He does. Who gives me guidance? He does. Who gives me truth? He does. He provided for the Jew not only moral code of Ten Commandments, a priesthood so they could come, the only people that could come and have their sins forgiven or covered to the day of the Messiah and the atonement. He gave them the right of social wisdom to deal with their neighbor and have a just judge and a balance. He provided everything they needed, plus fire by day and cloud by, cloud by day and fire by night and manna when they needed it and a land that flowed with milk and honey and crossing the Red Sea and miracles that showed his presence, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. 
Hey, who provides for you? Uncle Sam, there are other claimants. And when I got back to that ownership, my soul people said, well, I work for it, it's mine. Or my dad left it to me and it's mine. Or I went in like we did with the Indians and took the land, so it's ours by might and power. Oh, God says, no, it's all mine. That's my claim. Jewish people, I own you. Jewish people, I provide for you. He makes another claim, and that's king. He says they have rebelled against me. And implied is they've rebelled against the king of kings. Now there are other kings. King amusement, king jazz, king rock, king dope, king drink. They all say, hey, follow me. Hey, says the Christian, no, he's my king. There's an amazing story with Jesus before Pilate. And Pilate said, are you a king? And Jesus said, Thou sayest, to this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that they which are the truth will hear my voice. Pilate said, What is truth? And receiving no answer, he went out and said to the crowd, I find no fault in him, but you have a custom that I release unto you a prisoner at the feast day. Which one shall I release? Jesus, the king of the Jews, or Barabbas? And the crowd yelled, Barabbas! And the Bible says he was a robber. If you don't take Jesus as your king, you no vacuum. You take someone else or something else. And that king rules your life. But call it by any other name, whoever that king is, he's a robber. We have no king but Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. I'll give you, I'll ask a question and you can't answer it. How many folks in your church, including you, are committed to Jesus Christ as king? How many people, we went forward, that doesn't make me a, a, a symbol, but went forward at Keswick, New Jersey years ago when they sang a hymn, Where He Leads Me, I Will Follow. Where he, and I stood there debating that. Would I go anywhere he wanted me to go? Mission field, home, neither, or working in a plant, didn't matter. Will I go? I had that battle. Finally, you surrender, for that's what commitment is. You take out your sword and lay it down and say, I'm not going to fight you. They have rebelled against me, not you. I'm not going to fight you. What do you want from me? And that's what Paul said on the road to Damascus. Not only who art thou, that's theology. What do you want from me? Ah, step at a time, Paul. Go to Damascus. It shall be told thee. And then he was told and he was baptized and his eyes were open and straightway he preached that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Well, these are five claims. The claim of a father, I have nourished and brought up children. There are other fathers. The Bible tells me that Satan is called a father. You are of your father the devil, and the deeds of your father you will do. He's a liar and a murderer from the beginning. Ah, said the Jews, no, we be Abraham's seed. Uh, if you're Abraham's seed, you live like Abraham. Well, we've been born again. We profess that he is our heavenly father. We've been taught to pray. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed, sanctified, set apart be thy name and all that I do. Thy will be done in me as it's done in heaven when the angels jump at thy command. Give me today that bread that I need or whatever my need is. Lead me not to tempt. We're taught to pray. He's my father. If he says, if I'm your father, where is my honor? Bible says, honor your father and mother. Respect him. Obey him. I'm not so sure that if Isaiah preached this truth in his day, he could not preach it in our church today with me listening. What kind of a Christian am I? Claims of God. Notice, secondly, not only the claims, but God makes some charges. 
And the first is the charge of rebellion. They have rebelled against me. The word rebel, you know what a rebel is. They used to call us rebels back in the revolutionary days because we rebelled against England. And I'm not here to justify or indict that, simply to say we called us rebels. The word rebel means to, to be bitter, to, to refuse to comply. It's a picture of a cat that doesn't want to be picked up. And you say, here, pussy. And now, oh, that's the church of Christ. That was the Jew. Don't touch me. Come, my people, don't touch me. And you say that to God's people. God says, come here, I'm your king, and we rebel. We rebel. And no matter what somebody shows us the Bible, you know what we usually say? That's your interpretation. <laughs> and that we slide out of it. Or I know a brother, oh, come on, what does God say? We rebel. Oh, how we rebel. Obedience better than sacrifice? Ah, oh, not to us. And then we cover it with, uh, well, once saved, always saved. Doesn't matter what you do. Liar. Once saved, always saved. It matters what you do. And the mattering what you do proves that you are saved. He that is born does not practice sin. Born of God. He that practices sin is not born of God. A Christian may sin, but he can't live in it. It's a picture of a pig and a lamb walking together. Bad company. Pig takes most of the room. Oink, oink, oink. And little lamb, how you doing? Bah, bah. And there's a big mud puddle, and the pig sees it because he's taller. Oink, oink, oink. And the dumb lamb looking up, and they both get into it. The pig willingly and the lamb dummy right in with him. And when they get in, the pig says, oink, oink, oink. And the lamb says, get me out of here. I don't fit for this. Unless he stays in, then he's acting like a pig. We are in the world, not of it. We're not holier than thou. We're not out of the world. We're in it. But we don't do the things they do. We are believers. Ah, this is what he said. My people have rebelled against me. Notice the second thing. One of ignorance. Israel doth not know. Now the ox knows. Knows his owner. The dumb ox. Yeah, he knows his owner. But my people don't know. I heard a story of an ox and a donkey, and uh, they worked hard. And one day the ox said to the donkey, I'm not going to work anymore. He said, the master will still feed me. I'm going to quit, sit down, strike. Sure enough, the next morning he would not move. And the owner shrugged his shoulder and hooked up the donkey, and the donkey did twice that much work and came in like this. And the ox said, did the master say anything? He said, no. He said, I told you, you dummy, sit down. You'll feed us. This went on for three or four days, and the donkey is really dead. And the ox getting fatter and fatter. And finally one day the ox said again, didn't he say anything today? And the donkey said, no, but I saw him talking to the butcher. <laughs> oh. That story was true. I'm sure the Lord's talking to the butcher amongst many professing Christians. You call me master, but you don't do what I say. Ignorant? Yeah, that's what Hosea says. They are ignorant of my law. Do you know most people don't even know the Ten Commandments? They don't even know that they're both negative and positive. I am the Lord thy God. Have no other gods. Have me. Don't bow down before idols. Worship me. Don't take my name in vain. Take it in praise and praise. Prayer. Honor your mom and dad. Remember the Sabbath day. Make it a holiday, a holy day, a holiday, a holy day. Hey. Thou shalt not steal. Be honest with yourself and with God. 
There's more robbery goes on in churches Sunday morning when people rob God of their tithe and offering than out on the streets by pious people who say, Amen. Praise God, brother, cheat, robber. You don't believe that? I'll tell you what, you ask your, your pastor how the offerings go in the summer and see if they go up or down. What happened to those people? They all died, didn't you know? They went to another rapture somewhere. Now, the bank got their money, and the car people got their money, and the people with your credit card got their money, but the church, well, we went away on vacation. What'd you do? Blew it. <laughs> you robbed God. Don't tell me your piety. It says, Isaiah or Jesus preached to the fundamentalists of his day. What did he say? Bless you, no, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. And don't think they enjoyed it. And when John the Baptist preached, he said, you vipers of hell. Imagine saying that from our pulpit. You snakes. But he did. God's indictment, one of ignorance. And one of indifference, the ass knows his master's crib, but my people don't even sit down and consider these truths. They are indifferent. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. Don't care. Don't care. It's like Elijah. He preached and the people answered him not a word. Oh, frustration. Isaiah preaching. Amos preaching. No answer. Hosea using picture after picture, he said, my people are like a backsliding heifer and the thing won't move. Not move. You want to see the commitment of believers? Say on Tuesday night, all you that are healthy and well and not in school or whatever, we're going to visit the neighborhood and tell them the gospel. All you that are saved and born again, fishers of men, come. And 20 come the first Tuesday and 16 the second Tuesday. And 14, the third Tuesday. About the fifth Tuesday, you're down to three or four. My people don't even consider. Is this you and me in our church? The Lord has spoken. Indifferent, could care less. <sighs> Having a missionary conference, I'll make it one night. <sighs> We're having an evangelistic campaign. I'll see if I can make it two nights. I'm dedicated. What about the other nights? I bowl on so and so and I play ball on so and so and so. At first, at first, our bowling team's in first place. If I don't go, what's going to happen? <laughs> Imagine Peter saying, Lord, I'd like to be with you, but you know, I'm on the bowling team. <laughs> and I'm not against bowling. Hope you understand that. Or is the Bible against? It simply says, uh, what kind of Christians are you? And the indictment of sin, and there's a whole list that I'll simply name. Listen to it. Ah, sinful nation, the word kata, which means the miss the mark. You, local assembly, you, Bethel, Highland Park, Berean, call your name what you want. You are missing the mark. A whole nation. And I say you bring it down to the people and finally to yourself. Ah, sinful nation. Laden with iniquity. The word iniquity means that which is twisted. When you take some clothes and you wash them and you don't have any dryer in the old days, you take them to get the water out, what do you do? 
You wring them. You twist it. Our word iniquity comes from that. The word wrong comes from wrong. You are a twisted people with wrong standards and wrong values. What did you get on the test? A plus. Boy, great. Well, I had some ponies here and there. You say, well, where'd you go to school? Well, I'm a seminary student. You, a Christian? (laughs) Filled with iniquity. Half truths and half lies. Where were you? Out. With whom? Just the kids. What'd you do? Nothing. What time did you come home? I don't know. Ah, sinful people, laden with iniquity, seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. Now, my Bible says, have your loins girded with truth. So whatever seed comes from you, not physically, but morally and spiritually, will be true seed. God forbid a Christian tell a dirty joke. That's an evil seed. And that will plant in somebody's mind, and they'll enlarge upon it and expand it. They'll tell it to somebody else. And pretty soon that dirt has gone all over the little community because you told a dirty joke. Oh, good. And we live in a foul society, very dirty society. Public-wise, it used to be if they mentioned one word on TV or radio, cut them off. Now, if you don't mention it, we don't pay you. But Mel Johnson told me up in Minneapolis, I think it was, They had a radio program that was getting pretty raw, and the people wrote in, and it was a bank that sponsored the comedian that was doing the filth. And the radio station says, ah, we can't uh, change our program for you few church people. So somebody started a campaign, and they got 500 people on one day to go to the bank to withdraw all their money from their account. (laughs) And the bank fired the guy. They told the radio station, get rid of him. Hey, now and again, children, seed of corruptors, everybody is pregnant with something. And whatever seed you have, it will produce. If it's sin, it brings forth death. He has another thing too. Children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked. We talked this week, Mr. Smelzer, about provoking Jews to jealousy. I was born in a family with a brother and a sister, and we used to provoke the sister. She was six years younger than I was. <laughs> Tease her, and then when mom come out, pull her hair. Ah, me? Well, I would never do that, mom. Lie. How do you provoke God? By daring him. We know you said no, but uh, we dare you to bless us anyway. I'm going to marry that boy. I know what mom said and so on. I'm going to marry that boy. You provoke God. You provoke him to wrath. Be careful. You'll not enter into his rest. Not that it's not provided, but because of your background and who you are. And then this one last thing, it's in verse 11 on. It's religion without righteousness. To what purpose is the multitude of your many sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I'm weary of your burnt offerings. I'm sick of your things that you offer. Why do you go to church? That's what I'm asking. What purpose your meetings? What purpose this Bible conference? What purpose the message? Oh, Father, what do you want from me? Micah said it. You want to know what God wants? Yes. Walk humbly. Do what's right and love mercy. 
Don't think by coming, coming, coming with Sunday school pins that make you heavy by leaning over. God says, that's not what I want. What do you want? A broken heart and a contrite spirit. What's the meaning of communion? Take this in remembrance of me. This is my body broken for you. Drink this cup, blood of the new covenant. And while you do it, confess your sin, examine yourself. Is that done on the Lord's day? Not really. People come because that's what you do. He adds in verse 12, when you come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Who told you you were welcome here in the body of Christ when you act like the unsaved? He says, bring no more vain oblations. Your incense is an abomination. Your new moons, your calling of many assemblies. I cannot away with them. I am weary to bear them. 1 Corinthians 10 says, they did many things that displeased God. The Christian ought to say, Father, what pleases you? And he says, faith, without faith you can't please me. Obedience, better than sacrifice. And the sacrifice of praise, that's always pleasing to God. And your testimony and your faithfulness, it's required. That pleases God. But notice one other thing. Verse 14, excuse me, verse 15 your many prayer meetings fail to move God. Oh, God, we say. God says, I can't listen to that. In Jeremiah 7, he told the prophet, stop praying. I'm not going to hear you. Because when you pray, I'll answer. And I'm telling you now, stop praying. You got the answer. No, I'm not going to save my people. They've gone too far. The sin of the Amorites is full. When you get that full, you're in trouble. And the sin of the church is the Laodicean church. We don't see our need. And you will go back, bless your heart, and I don't know you personally, to your assembly and there'll be no change. No change. If a man with the gifts of healings, which I've never seen, but I'm not here to argue that, stood in the front of your church and said, anybody that has a physical ailment, if they'll come forward, I will heal them by laying my hand upon them, you can be sure that people with physical ailments would come. When you give an invitation, anybody here with consciousness that they are imperfect and they need to get it right with God, you come down to the front and kneel and pray. No one. Maybe one. The rest of the saints watch. When they pray, they watch with one eye. Hey, Lord, what's wrong with us? Sin. And the condition of this people, he said, is so bad. In fact, 2 Chronicles 36 says there was no remedy. Their condition was terminal. We just had a man die in our church with a tumor on the brain, and uh, it was terminal. They operated and he died. There was no cure, no cure. It says here, why should you be stricken anymore? You're done. Amos said, I've given you famine and cleanness of teeth, and you don't return. I withheld the heaven so you had no rain, and you still wouldn't come back. I allowed the pestilence to come and you got sick and you still wouldn't come back. I allowed the enemy to come in and you still wouldn't come back. Oh, Israel, you better prepare to meet thy God. There's no more I can do. And that's here. From the top of the head, that's the government. That's Washington. All the way down to you and me and the bulrushes, the lay people, the feet. There is nothing good about us. We cannot be cured or mollified with ointment or wrapped with gauze, not that it hasn't been tried. We are too far gone. I think that's true of the nation. I'm not a pessimist. But I think that's true of the church sometimes. There's no cure for you. 
Oh, Lord, give us revival. Oh, stop it. You pay your employees a right wage. Do you work the full eight hours that they pay you for? You just slip out a half hour ahead of time, wash your hands and go home. And when they say anything, you get the union on their neck. What kind of Christianity is this? Oh, we're not Christians. We say it, but we don't live it. He said, you're like this. Your country is desolate. Your cities burned with fire. You are forsaken, destroyed, devoured, and overthrown. And the daughter of Zion is like a little hut in a vineyard, which should be producing grapes. And all they have is a keeper's hut. Where is the vineyard? <laughs> Foxes have spoiled the vine. My vines have no grapes. Isaiah 5. Oh, what says my beloved concerning his vineyard? What kind of fruit of the Spirit is in your church and mine? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering? Uh, we hear, I guess Dr. Brand hears it all the time. I've had it. I can't take it. I can't go on. What kind of endurance is this? We're not called to give up. Mr. DeRosha said quitters never win and winners never quit. One lady came in and said that, said, I've had it, Pastor, up to here. And I said, well, you got six more inches. Get in there. <laughs> yeah, have it. Anybody quits. Sinful nation. He said, you're like a lodge or a hut in a garden of cucumbers. You're like a besieged city. Now let me close by telling you the cure. And what's the cure? Very simple, verse 16. Because your hands are full of blood and other sins, you wash you. Got that? You wash you. You make you clean. Now I know, I take my showers and so do you and in two days you know you haven't taken a shower and three days everybody knows you haven't taken a shower and after three weeks the whole neighborhood knows you haven't taken a shower I was in the CCC years ago and one guy refused to take a bath well we thought it was funny for a week <laughs> but after that we threw him in the shower with clothes and everything he stunk somebody said if sin would smell you couldn't stand it how do I wash me? Uh, by confession of sin. If you confess your sin, I will cleanse you. That's how you come. Well, I want the cleansing without confession. No way. I want the bath without the soap and the water. No way. Well, I don't like the soap and the water. Then you don't get cleansed. You come with confession. You take me words, Hosea chapter 14. Words that describe what I am. Now, most of us confess with vacuum cleaner confession. What's that? Here it is, usually at nighttime. Quote, on your knees. Oh, Lord, if I've done anything wrong today, please forgive me. <laughs> Do you know what you did? Your big mouth, you know, did you tell them about your big mouth? Mine? Yeah, yours. Do you know how angry you were at work when you slammed the receiver down and like this? You tell them about your anger? You barked at your wife, came in, and, and she, oh, here comes daddy. Is that what you were? Or you young people told a lie, mom, and got away with it. She never found out, but you're a liar. Liars go to hell. Practice lying. Can't trust you anyway. Oh, Lord, I, I need to be washed. How do I get washed? Oh, by confession and by John 15, 3. Now you're clean through the word, which I've spoken unto you. James chapter 1. The word is like a mirror, and some people look into it and forget what they look like. There was the big black mark, 
and they forgot they had it and went to the thing that night. Somebody said, what's wrong with your faith? Oh, I forgot. Yeah, you forgot. Read the mirror and don't hold it up to look at somebody else. Look at yourself. Sometimes we're cleansed and washed by somebody who takes a towel, like Jesus did. And when he came to Peter, who had rebellion, Peter, I want to wash your feet. He said, not my feet. No, sir. Then Jesus said, if you don't let me do this, you have no part with me. Then Peter said, oh, well, then wash me all. Peter, just the feet. Wash you, make you clean. But notice this. Now just name them. You put away the evil of your doings. That's Ephesians 4. Put off the old man. Put on the new man. Put away stealing. You that lie, stop your lying. And allow the Spirit of God to work in your heart. You put away evil. You cease to do it. And you go to school to learn to do well. Then this Seek righteousness or judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow, and come N-O-W, for time is involved, and let's sit down and reason together. You're not perfect, that's true, but your sins of scarlet shall be as white as snow if you do what God says. And the conclusion is, if you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. That's all God wants. A willingness to do his will and an obedience that wants to obey. You do that, man, God says you've made it with me. It doesn't save you. Don't misunderstand me. It's to God's people. But if you refuse and if you rebel, you shall be devoured with a sword because the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Backsliding, sour drink, says Hosea. Warped bow so you can't shoot straight. Little dove that goes to the south, to Egypt, and then when Assyria calls, it goes to the north. Unturned cake. An adulterer like a oven, your heart waiting to bake the sin, and finally you do it. You a Christian? I don't know. Hey, Isaiah, would you like to preach in our pulpit? He'd preach that message. Oh, Lord, Isaiah, what's your experience? Oh, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And when I saw him, I cried, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a church of unclean lips. Then the seraphim took a coal from off the altar and touched his lips. Then God said to that kind of a man now confessing and sinned and now cleansed, whom shall I send and who will go? Ah, oh, the Isaiahs now cleansed and confessing their sins say, here, my Lord. Send me. And he said, I'll send you to a people that won't listen to you. He had no successful ministry except with God. And Israel refused and rebelled. Every individual in this room tonight will do either obey, willing obedience, or refuse, and refuse to put their sword down and say, Father, I am a rebel whom he loves, he chastens. And if he doesn't do anything with you, you're illegitimate. You're not his child. But if you keep on rebelling, he'll pick you up and throw you in the circumstances like he did the Jew. And they hanged their harps on willow trees and lost their song and said, where is God? Uh, he's still there. He has a purpose and a plan. But what he wants from us is holiness. And without mm -hmm. it, there can be no blessing. You've been listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast and George Slavin's message titled, What Kind of Christians Are We? that he presented during Moody Week at Gold Lake Bible Conference 1978. George Slavin was a Bible teacher and expositor and former pastor of Highland Park Baptist Church in Southfield, Michigan.
Audio copies of this and many other messages from the podcast are available at moodyaudio.com. Join us again next week when we bring you a series of messages on life that Stephen Olford presented at Moody Keswick Bible Conference 1984. Today in the Word Radio is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of the Moody Bible Institute.